It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. Recording from Carolina Beach. Thanks for driving down yesterday. We're recording. Yeah, notice how it's always me coming to you. Well, you know, we are at the beach, right? We are, and it is your birthday. Yeah, thank you. You came on Wednesday. We're recording on Thursday morning. Not a busy week at the General Assembly, hence we're at Carolina Beach. So last week we found out that there was not going to be a budget until September, and Speaker Moore confirmed that on Monday. Sounds like the House was ready to go this month, but the Senate's like, look, we just have too many absences Let's delay this until after September 1, which has had a ripple effect on other things they're working on. Yes. So there has been a lot of discussion about whether or not that Medicaid expansion will be able to go into effect October 1st, as DHHS had said they're preparing for. And now because of that September 1st delay, Medicaid expansion will not happen until the next quarter. Disappointing news on that front, but it does sound pretty firm. Both leadership in the House and the Senate are saying a budget is coming in September. I think that alleviates a lot of fears many of us had about these little mini budgets. Are we just going back to the drawing board? But uh, sounds like August is just going to be a very slow month. Well, we're already a couple weeks in. The casino debate is... One of the things that is front and center, we've talked about it in past podcasts, but does it go in the budget? Is it a standalone provision? It sounds like legislators prefer it to be in the budget, but battle lines are definitely being drawn. We have seen this week that there are legislators who are speaking out on social media about their opinion on casinos, and you said you saw an ad already. Yeah, got to Carolina Beach over the weekend, was watching the news, and I saw a 501c4 ad that was basically saying, do we want North Carolina to turn into Las Vegas? And it was an issue ad asking viewers to contact their legislator and vote no on these Las Vegas style, and I'm putting quotes around that, casinos. It was a very well done ad, so there's definitely money behind it. Wilmington is not a very expensive market. I have not seen these ads in the Raleigh market, but I imagine we will as this heats up in August. So we've been hearing a lot about the cons of casinos, but some of the pros are that the draft legislation includes some different triggers, including that the company that would operate the casinos would have to put $1.5 billion with a B into the economy in North Carolina and would have to create over 5,000 jobs. Additionally, counties would be able to be eligible by being economically distressed. So it would bring some good jobs into counties that may not have as much opportunity. And again, you know, we're looking at Rockingham, Anson, Nash County, and then of course, Robeson County is in the mix because of the Lumbee tribe. But uh, this is a philosophical debate. You know, it kind of has that same DNA as the marijuana debate, uh, alcohol modernization, the lottery going back 20 years ago when we instituted the lottery. We still have 
a huge faction within North Carolina politics that is opposed to these sorts of ventures. And by the way, this isn't just conservative Republicans. You have liberal Democrats who think that these businesses are predatory. There are certainly two sides to this debate. We'll leave it up to you to decide whether this is good or bad for uh, North Carolina. But needless to say, it's a debate we are going to continue to have going into the fall. It seems it's so early for us to continue to talk about new candidates, but there are new candidates. A Kerry retired healthcare executive, his name is Jesse Thomas, self-describes as a no-nonsense Republican. He led the Medicaid plan that was offered by Blue Cross and Blue Shield. He's running on health care. He wants to make North Carolina the healthiest state in the United States. He declared his candidacy this week. So add him to the list of Mark Robinson, Dale Falwell, Mark Walker. Uh, Jesse Thomas is now a declared candidate for governor. There are now eight Republican candidates in that race. Additionally, a new candidate filed to run for lieutenant governor, and we are now up to eight candidates running on the Republican side for lieutenant governor. So it's Mooresville Evangelist, Rivera Douthit, D-O-U-T-H-I-T. Don't know him or her. Welcome to the lieutenant governor's race. You'll find plenty of company. I wonder uh, if that's pronounced doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> that, would be, that would be a great political name. Yeah. Rivera, Rivera doubt it. <laughs> Vote for someone else, doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> so while not a lot of high name profile candidates announcing for governor, lieutenant governor this week, we did have some action, formal action, I should, I should say, about the attorney general's race on that Republican side. So as we announced last week, Congressman Dan Bishop is running for attorney general, but he had a formal campaign event or kickoff event this week at the Magianas. <laughs> well, you're laughing. We're going to talk more about this when we get to tweet of the week because there was some funny funny comments about that <laughs> so go ahead so is that the that's a restaurant is that an italian restaurant yeah it's a chain <laughs> well uh, so the annou- formal announcements made we're gonna have fun with tweet of the week this week uh but still no mention of a democrat or at least a high profile democrat running for attorney general we certainly have the candidate from duplin county i can't even remember his name Uh, he is declared as a democrat but all eyes really are on jeff jackson right that's right they even asked dan bishop about jeff jackson at his campaign kickoff he sidestepped it said he thought jeff jackson was happy in congress wanted to stay in congress Those two statements may very well be true, but I don't know if the General Assembly is going to let him stay in Congress once they redraw those maps later this fall. So does that push Jeff Jackson into this attorney general's race as a Democrat? Now, it got me thinking about this guy. What if Dan Bishop was to say to the General Assembly, let Jeff Jackson stay in Congress. I don't want him as my opponent, because I think we can all agree, whether you like Jeff Jackson or not. The and ga- not is where I stand. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
you got to admit the guy is a prolific campaigner and right. a wonderful messenger. Yeah, great on TikTok. Great. <laughs> He's everyone's favorite TikTok congressman. <laughs> but I wonder if this helps Jeff Jackson stay in Congress. That's possible. You never know an NC poll, right? It might have the safest congressional seat ever just to keep him away from Dan Bishop. And that really does give Dan Bishop a free lane, I think, because I don't know who else steps up unless it's Wiley Nickel. So speaking of the Dan Bishop race. Some uh, unsubstantiated rumors about who will jump into his seat. And then we've had some unsubstantiated rumors that got substantiated this week about who's not running Mm -hmm. in that seat. So Dan Bishop, obviously, he's leaving his congressional district to run for attorney general. That leaves his seat open. A few names popped up this week. A couple of people that we have heard are running are Trisha Cotham, Mm -hmm. or considering running Trisha Cotham, Bo Hines, you might remember that name, and also Mark Harris, who had run previously. Was that the same district? Yeah. Yeah. He had run. Dan Bishop took his place when that race was nullified. Uh, so, yeah, Mark Harris making a comeback. He kind of left in disgrace because there was the ballot harvesting down in Bladen County, you know, uh, Interesting primary. Now, we had mentioned in past podcasts that possibility is that Senator Todd Johnson, he decides to run for Congress. He had run for Congress in the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's now in the Senate. Wonderful senator. He made an announcement this week on Twitter that he was endorsing Dan Bishop for attorney general. But the last paragraph in his statement got our attention. He was not running for that congressional seat. Kind of a surprise to many of us. We thought he would jump in. But, you know, he's got, you know, young teenage sons, and I know he really wants to see them grow up living in D.C. I don't know. (laughs) I could see Senator Johnson hating that. But uh, anyway, that was big news this week. So this week we had a rare moment where some legislative leaders seemed to really support the actions of Governor Roy Cooper as it pertains to this UNC football eligibility issue. And you're going to have to explain it to me because I'm a little turned around on it. So someone transferred, his name is Tez Walker. He transferred to Carolina and applied for immediate eligibility. You used to have to sit out a year if you transfer, but now if you transfer twice, you have to sit out. And they denied his request to immediately play. Cooper wrote the NCAA and asked them to reverse that decision. Good move, Governor Cooper, bringing us all together on something we can agree on, that we need an eligible player at UNC this fall. All right, we had some fun facts this week on Twitter. It wasn't quite tweet of the week material, but it was interesting from Dr. Chris Cooper. Yeah, I sent it to you just because I think it's really interesting to think about in the upcoming election, talking about unaffiliated registered voters. Unaffiliated voters are the largest group of registered voters under the age of 40. That definitely checks out when I talk to young folks. They seem to have nothing for the parties. But they are the smallest group over 40. Similarly, 
they are the largest group of registered voters who are born out of state. And then unaffiliated are the smallest group of registered voters born in North Carolina. So interesting. I agree. I think these numbers are going to grow, though, especially as the boomers age out, the young folks who are coming into voting. My son is a great example. He just really has no affinity whatsoever. He just holds his nose and he votes. He does not like the messaging from either party. Makes me wonder if the No Labels Party is going to have a surge in North Carolina if the State Board of Elections allows them to be on the ballot. Yeah, this is a new party. It's a national movement. Governor McCrory is involved with it. We also heard from uh, Justice Bob Orr. I think he's the attorney for the No Labels Party. Uh, It has ties into Joe Lieberman up in Connecticut. He's really involved with this. You may remember him as a conservative Democrat in the U.S. Senate, ran ran with Al Gore. But yeah, it all comes down to the Electoral College, though. You know, a third party. I remember Ross Perot in 1992 uh, was probably, arguably, I believe the most viable third party candidate I've seen in my lifetime, maybe John Anderson, 1980, Ralph Nader, 2000, but I'd have to give it to, to Ross Perot, 1992. He made such a dent in the popular vote, but really gained nothing in the electoral college. He won no votes in the electoral college. It's all about that. It's kind of rigged against these, you know, non-major parties. But I do think this, The parties have got to figure out how to reach these young voters, or it is going to tip. This week, we interviewed someone from your neck of the woods, Mm -hmm. Representative Yalu, about her life and her journey to the General Assembly. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Representative Yalu, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. Start us off by telling us about your district. Where's your district? Why do you think your district is special? I represent State House District 21. It's a a new district that was created last year or two years ago. It includes Cary and Morrisville. My district has the largest percentage of Asian Americans. So it's a very diverse community with a lot of restaurants and different kinds of sports. Cary is a home to USA baseball team. Mm -hmm. You probably know that. Um, It's home to NC Courage women's soccer team. And Morrisville hosts many international cricket games. Oh, yeah, that just recently happened, didn't it? Yes. If you love sports, you will feel right at home in my district. One of the great things about this area, I live in Cary. I'm in Representative Cervania's district. Uh, We share Senator Adcock as our senator. People don't realize this in Morrisville and Cary. When you say restaurants, specifically Asian restaurants, we have some of the best restaurants in the world when it comes to Asian cuisine. Yeah, Chinese and Indian cuisine, very good. I can take you to a couple of really good ones. Yeah. And we always have different 
cultural events and activities going on almost every week. So yeah. a lot to do, a perfect place to raise family. It's good for young families and seniors. Yeah. So I love my district. Talk to us about what brought you to that district. I came to the United States to pursue graduate studies. Um, I was a graduate student at NC uh, State University, so that's a perfect place. That's a short drive from mm-hmm. um, NC State. Well, why, what made you decide on NC State? It has a really good sociology program. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to get my PhD in sociology. What is your country of origin? China. China. Yeah. Okay. So what year? Do you mind if that's okay? Yeah, what year did absolutely. You come over? Uh, 2003. So it's been 20 years. Okay. Since All I right. came to the States. Yeah. So you got your PhD in sociology, but you also have a Juris Doctorate as well. You're a practicing attorney. Well, I taught at Duke Law School as a faculty member. I thought, well, my students are getting JDs and my colleagues, most of my colleagues have JDs and I decided to challenge myself, right? PhD is certainly not enough. (laughs) (laughs) It was an evening program at Central. It's perfect for working professionals. Um, I had two kids at the time, so I couldn't just quit my job and pursue uh, a degree. So it's an evening program. I did it three years, a four-year program. Um, Got my JD. Okay. I spoke to Senator Gail Adcock yesterday. We were talking about you, and she said to ask you this question. She loves your show. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. We we love Senator Adcock yeah. as well. Been a guest on the show. She was talking about how much she admired the fact that you not only got your law degree, but you did it while pregnant, right? She's She says this woman's just amazing what she's able to accomplish. Yeah, that's a story sometimes I share with folks because typically people are really tired of campaign speeches, right, when they hear you speak. And I share a personal story. I said, so people can remember me. Um, I had my third child, my daughter, while I was in the first year of law school. Um, All my three children were born via C-section. So one week after I gave birth via C-section at UNC, I took the midterm exam and I shocked my <laughs> professor and my, my uh, classmate. They were like, why are you here, y'all? <laughs> Just go back to rest. <laughs> <laughs> um, but clearly that's an Asian trait, I guess. Just right, always hardworking and um, trying to keep myself motivated. I watched a Carrie Magazine video about you and you said you weren't interested in politics. You didn't foresee becoming an elected official. What brought you to politics? I was very active in the community, being a community organizer. I don't know if you know that I'm a cultural event organizer. Okay. I, I still do that. Um, I organize cultural festivals all the time, Lunar New Year event, mm. um, the Chinese American Food and Culture Festival uh, in Cary. It's been a lot of fun. I loved organizing youth uh, civic engagement activities. So just very active in the community, um, really enjoyed giving back my time and service to the community, but never thought I would get into politics. So I was approached in 2019, and I was asked if I would consider running for Kerry Town Council. 
And people approached me before, right? And say, oh, you would be great. You should, you know, bring uh, some perspectives to our government. Um, there isn't a big representation of uh, the growing demographic of Asian population in our government. Uh, you should consider doing that. I didn't really give some serious thought, but when I was approached to run for the Kerry Town Council seat, I said yes. Okay. So I didn't know what I didn't know what I know now. I would have said no if I knew <laughs> knew what I know now, right? right. So uh, it's a a seat um, with an incumbent. Um, it's oh. a hard fought race. Yeah. Okay. I remember that you were my councilwoman. Yeah, that's right. Uh, until you ran for the house, and you saw our yard signs everywhere, right? <laughs> Overnight, them. everywhere. Like yard signs were everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. We ran a grassroots campaign. A lot of um, volunteers, some youth volunteers, got involved. It was an exciting campaign. Yeah. I learned a lot. So the decision to run for the North Carolina House this last cycle, what went into that? So it was a newly drawn district. I was one of a few elected officials who live in that district. Actually, um, you may know this. So legislature... This job doesn't really work for working professionals. Doesn't right. really work for young people, right? Right. right. So many um, elect, young elected officials cannot afford, or their work doesn't allow them the flexibility to work as a legislator. I was encouraged to consider running, have some flexibility with my work schedule. Decided to do it. I really think we should consider raising the legislator pay to make it more working professional friendly. So young people, teachers, firefighters, they can serve and represent our community mm-hmm. in the legislature. We'd like for you to go back a little bit. Go back to your family and your life in China. I was um, the only girl in the family. Okay. have two brothers. Um, what province were you in in China? Hunan province, okay. a very populous province. My dad um, had this running joke, and he told me that in 1980, three tragedies occurred in the Liu family. First, my maternal grandmother died. My paternal grandmother had a stroke and became paralyzed. And the third event Two girls were born in the Liu family in 1980, <laughs> me included. <laughs> so were you a ball of fire? Or right? something? So my dad like, had lower expectations from me, right? Being a girl, I just felt that I had a lot more to approve, uh, to prove myself. Um, worked really hard. I aspired to be a writer. I somehow became a writer. I wrote um, and published close to 20 ar- articles, academic articles in gerontology and public health. So became a writer. Okay. Yeah, somewhat. Okay. And now I draft laws, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. As Americans, most of what we know about life in China is what's told to us through the media. Can you talk about what life in China was like and what led you to say, okay, I think I want to go to Raleigh, North Carolina and be a graduate student? I had a happy, normal childhood, felt loved by my family, and politics wasn't 
quite a thing. Right. Right. But from a, a very young age that I appreciate the democracy um, in the United States, okay. that I was always curious what it's like here, that people can speak freely what they think. And so wanted to explore the world, right? Didn't really quite have North Carolina in my mind, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Did you know where it was? <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> right? Um, but sociology took me here. It has three um, very good universities, Duke, UNC, and NC State, that okay. has great um, sociology programs. Yeah. yeah. It is the path for a lot of immigrant stories in North Carolina. Absolutely. It seems to be the universities bring them here. Yeah. My district has, um, I think, over 40% Asian Americans Yeah, in my district. And in North Carolina, you'll be surprised, 8 to 10% uh, of our people yeah. uh, were born outside this country. Yeah. Um, we have a large immigrant community, and it's, it's great, and people are very welcoming and eager to learn about each other's cultures. Can I feel very fortunate to live here. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to represent the Asian American community, um, be a leader at the state level, you're also a local leader, and being able to provide that representation? Typically, um, Asian Americans have uh, high levels of education, well-educated. Many of them work as doctors, professors, engineers. and But a large section of the Asian community um, has... Um, language barriers. Um, they still struggle to access to the services. They don't know how to ask for help when they struggle. And sometimes when they run into run into trouble with the police, a lot of times they have trouble communicating with the police due to language um, barriers or the cultural differences. And I remember one citizen shared the story that she was trying to communicate and tell the police, but the police uh, officer thought she was being aggressive. So certainly a lot of barriers in the Asian community. But for me, um, to be a representative, this large community and everyone in my district, that I feel I have a lot to contribute at the table that I can advocate for language access for the community, the type of services that we can provide to support the immigrant communities and educate people and um, register more Asian Americans, encourage people to vote, encourage them to get involved in the political process, make them realize how important to have a voice and to share their stories with elected officials to make an impact for their community. I'm going to ask you sort of a sociological question, and it's one I've been trying to figure out for the last 17 years I've, I've lived in Cary. The politics of the Asian American community, it seems to be very diverse. I see Republicans who have their support, Democrats who have their support. Uh, Majority Leader John Bell was in Morrisville last week at a cricket game. Uh, and, of course, there's you, yeah. Senator Jay Chaudhary, uh, yeah. Representative Maria Cervania. To me, it seems like a very diverse community politically. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there are Republican Asian Americans. There are Democratic Asian Americans. 
probably more Democrats than Republicans. You think so? Okay. But as a community, that I think most Asian Americans are open-minded. Yeah. Most Asian Americans are actually unaffiliated. They vote not necessarily down the the party line. So they may vote for Elaine Marshall, okay. or they may vote for Cooper as a governor, but they may check the box to elect a Republican House member or congressional member. So the key for legislators is Asian American voters are out there for you to get. You've got to That's pay attention right. to their issues. Asian American voters um, can be the margin of victory. I don't know if you know, 3% of our electorate uh, Asian Americans uh, in North Carolina. Just like, think about how many statewide races are determined by less than 1% yeah. or less than 2% of the votes. Yeah. yeah. Another sociological question. Uh, Asia is a big continent, so we have anywhere from India to Sri Lanka to China to Indonesia. Does that come into play within yeah. the community? Absolutely. In the Indian community, there are probably more than 20 languages, okay. different religions, uh, even within the Indian communities. And so absolutely very diverse uh, in terms of political beliefs, language, in terms of political leaning. And, and you will be surprised, not every Asian American would vote for me. Okay. And that's okay, right? right? I still represent them. And um, I think it's good. It's good for our community that we have as a community, that we do have Republican friends. Like you said, Representative Bell was at that event, and I saw Representative Tim Moore at some cultural events, and we definitely have many Democratic yeah. <laughs> legislators and yeah. elected officials um, who support our community. So you said you came here in 2003 to NC State, what is something that was sort of a culture shock about North Carolina, either North Carolina or the United States that you weren't expecting? So language was still a barrier for me when I first came here. So I had to learn everything from scratch, know about the, trying to learn about the cultures, trying to get up to speed on the language. Plus the southern accents. Right. <laughs> Did I pick that up? <laughs> like even when I talk to my fellow legislators in some rural districts, they're like, don't worry about y'all. You actually speak better English than me. <laughs> uh, I enjoy the, the challenge and just um, always eager to learn. I think that helped a lot. Um, to help me to become a more effective legislator, yeah. right? Starting off this session, I was like, I'm just a freshman. What can I do, right? Freshman in the minority party. Probably mm, I shouldn't work on any bills. It won't go anywhere, <laughs> right? No offense to my um, colleagues in the legislature. Yeah. But, but you then, have worked on yeah, bills. You've yeah, got, yeah, then I talked to myself, you know what? I'm just going to work on the bills that I feel very passionate about and um, use the bills as an opportunity to talk to different legislators with different backgrounds and see who shares the same interests um, like me. Um, So it's been a good experience for me that I learned a lot. Um, When I first got to the legislature, I think I knew probably less than 10 legislators. But now in the House, 
I think I may know like a hundred of them. I, I think I've talked to most of the legislators in the House. And I've seen you present legislation in committee. You presented recently an HOA bill. And by the way, it's gotten a lot of attention, a lot of energy inside the building around this HOA bill. But uh, you seem to have a nice rapport with everyone, including your Republican colleagues. Um, you had some interaction with Representative Jason Sane in committee, and he had some questions for you. But you guys seem to bounce off each other pretty well. Yeah, um, before even I proposed the bill, I basically just asked my colleagues who are the experts on HOAs who have worked on the HOA bills. And, and people just said, you should talk to Representative Winslow. So I went to talk to him. I said, hey, what do you think? And he's like, it's a good idea. And you should talk to Representative Steve Tyson and Mark Brody. And so that brought me to my to- two co-primary sponsors for my HOA bill. Okay. And when I talked with Representative Gale, she said, you know, Representative Eiler worked on a bill related to HOA. Uh, he's proposed that we should bring some oversight to HOAs. Um, so I went to talk to Representative Eiler. So we brought in representatives who shared that interest, who were passionate about the issue, who were really the experts on HOA-related issues. And we talked to everyone in the legislature, like trying to make the pitch Right. Say, what do you think about this? How we can improve? So before even we got to the Senate, we already talked to many people and made the changes that were necessary to push the bill through the committee. For our listeners out there who are unfamiliar with this bill, can you give us just a quick, what does your bill do? So currently, our state allow HOA foreclosures. If you owe HOA dues or have some fines, and you don't pay the fines or HOA dues, you will face foreclosure. There is no threshold. Our bill basically proposed a minimum threshold. You will have to owe at least one year of HOA dues or $2,500, whichever is less. Oh, I really wanted to propose whichever is greater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we had to make the concession to bring it down. Um, before you face foreclosures. Owning a home, that's a major part of American dream. Mm -hmm. People work so hard to buy a home their family could live in, and we don't want to take that American dream away from them. You seem like someone who is a lifelong learner, and you enjoy learning. What is something that you have learned since becoming a state legislator that maybe you didn't expect? I learned how important it is to build relationships. I thought it's going to be a really partisan environment, right? That's a factor that I considered. Um, I was like, should I do it? Should I leave the Cary Town Council, which I really adored uh, each of my former colleagues on the Cary Town Council? I really didn't want to leave them. Like, should I go into the legislature? That would be a very partisan environment. Do people fight all the time? I was surprised that you know, people are really friendly and supportive, and especially when we work on issues, subject matters that you share similar interests on. And um, so it's been a good experience to build relationships and get to know people. I strongly believe every legislator, they really come to the legislature, want to make a difference 
um, want to push um, for changes that will be good for our state, good for their district. So I, I really respect that. So how do you handle it when it does get partisan? Because it does get partisan sometimes. How do you process that? Yeah, that's one thing that I think um, our legislature can work more effectively if we put that partisan side mm-hmm. <laughs> aside, right? Mm-hmm. We can work together more on partisan issues, right? Um, it seems on some hardcore issues, especially social issues. And you probably have heard this, you are always in the building, that not every Republican legislator is excited about working on those social cultural war bills, yeah. right? Yeah. And so if we only focus on what we can do to create more jobs, and to create a better economy, to create a state that works for everyone, and less about what can help you to get more seats. Um, so that would be great. <laughs> That's kind of a magic wand, but I will ask you, if you had a magic wand and you could change one thing in our politics, what would it be? That legislators can work in a bipartisan manner more, mm-hmm. right? We see that. Um, that. I would love to see more of that. And I would love to see more legislators who can do that from both sides. Well, Representative Yalu, we appreciate everything you are doing in North Carolina politics, your service in the North Carolina House. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. That's very kind of you. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking to you both. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. I think it was the first day of session this year when Representative Lou came up to us and was just such a delight to talk to. She was so excited about being elected, serving, and she also told us she just loves the podcast and listens to it every week. We see her, I think, every single day. Yeah. And she stops and talks to us. What a breath of fresh air. And I love the way that she's working on this HOA bill, really following the map that you have to follow, especially if you're serving in the minority. She is a Democrat. You have to get buy-in from Republicans. And it's so great to see guys like Representative Mark Brody. Man, he keeps coming up in these (laughs) conversations with these Democratic women. Like, he's helping them with their bills. We saw her present to his land use committee, got it out of committee. You know, just love the bipartisanship that she brings and also the Republicans that are working with her. Tweet of the week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Pork Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org.
This week's Tweet of the Week is similar to many Tweet of the Weeks in the past where the gold is really in the replies, not the actual tweet. So the Tweet of the Week is from Joe Bruno. He's at Joe Bruno, W-S-O-C-9. And it is a picture from the Dan Bishop kickoff event and says, I'm at the Maggiano's in South Park where Congressman Dan Bishop is holding a press conference on his run for attorney general. Now, this photo has a lot of people with Dan Bishop signs. You can look at the photo yourself if you'd like to see what these (laughs) comments are about. But the age in the photo trends older. So some of the replies... (laughs) When did old folks start having dinner at 1 p.m.? <laughs> <laughs> and Margiano's is pretty heavy food at a yeah. 1 o'clock uh, <laughs> gathering, isn't it? Yeah. On three, can we speak to the manager? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Somebody said, is the after party at the Cheesecake Factory? <laughs> <laughs> Who thought it was a good visual to have a press conference behind the hostess stand at a chain <laughs> restaurant? <laughs> Sorry, I just saw another one that said one misstep would take out half of these. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, it goes back to Dr. Cooper's tweet about the unaffiliated. When when folks under 40 look at photos like this, or they say, you know, we're meeting at Margiana's at one o'clock in the middle of the week to have a big lunch. They're just like, yeah, I'm checked out on that. I'm not doing that. Get some young folks in the photo. Someone said, did anyone yell bingo? Yeah. Twitter, or whatever we're calling it now, is such a great place for the comments. They're just priceless. Love it. Twitter doesn't let you down. Never. That's what the, I told you. Like, it's the best place to be in dark times. <laughs> it really is. I appreciate you driving down to record the podcast. Thank you for those wonderful gifts. I'm wearing my Ryan Sandberg I saw you got a comment already on our Instagram reel. Really? Mm -hmm. What did it say? That they like the shirt. Yeah, it's a great shirt. Hey, how was your trip to Colorado? It was good. Yeah? Wedding went off without a hitch? No pun intended? (laughs) So we got there Thursday because there was supposed to be an event Thursday night. Go to my cousin's house. We're just sitting at our house. Sitting, sitting, sitting. It's now been two hours. I say to my mom, I'm walking back to our Airbnb. (laughs) I walked the two miles back because it was seven o'clock Colorado time, which is 9 p.m. our time there. I had not received any food. So if I've got to walk two miles home, I'll do it Friday. It's supposed to be an event at two o'clock. Didn't happen. <laughs> so those things are what I would call indicators. <laughs> <laughs> Warnings that they- all the trains weren't running on the tracks, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the wedding venue, beautiful. Yeah. Wedding, beautiful. My cousin, she looked gorgeous. You know, all of that went fine. Now, to get up the mountain, we were at a hotel. And like, I would say 80% of the wedding guests took the van up the mountain to the wedding. So we were told there's running buses going back down to the hotel starting at like 9 45, 10 o'clock. Again, if you're doing the math in your head, <laughs> that's 11 45, midnight our time. Now, and you can't just let that go. You can't be, I'm in Colorado. I'm, I'm here. I'm going to just get on do this. That, time. If you do that, then you have a hard time getting back on Eastern time. And 
Doesn't it all come out in the wash, though? You're having a hard time there. You're going to have a hard time here. I wasn't having a hard time there. I just went to bed early. What? Two of the nights. What time did you go to bed there, time? (laughs) Like seven something. What a party animal you are. Okay, but I had been out with my family all day. Uh (laughs) I will note that someone in our town drove a tow truck (laughs) 16 hours to Colorado to go to a wedding. Uh Okay. (laughs) Known as Donnie and Connie. (laughs) Donnie and Connie. Donnie the husband, Connie the wife. Made for each other. Mm -hmm. So wedding comes. It's, you know, 9.50. Like, it's time for me to get on the bus and go back. Mm -hmm. Also, the wedding was supposed to end at 10.30. So I go to wait for the bus. There's no bus. Finally, a bus comes at 10.50. It's 12.50. And you have to wait for the entire bus to fill up before we leave. Get back to the hotel. So it's like a 30-minute ride to the hotel. So I don't know, like 1.30 probably, 2 a.m. our time. And then my lovely brother. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Trying to go to bed. Mm-hmm. I can hear him in the hallway just yelling at people. <laughs> really? And I was ready to go full Philip David on him. <laughs> really? Your father? Yes. Yeah. Scott, shut the F up. Uh-huh. Trying to go to sleep, I have to get up early and get on a plane. But he was just running rampant in the hallway, having the best time, I'm sure. Just a wild man, huh? He is so wild. I will note that after last week's episode, we were talking about who was the favorite child, and then we got into an argument of both of us making the case why we were the least favorite, and his was that my parents come out here more. And I said, well, get a beach. Ah. Uh. Yeah, but they're out spending a week with him in Utah now, right? Right now, yeah. And he's a professor? Yeah. What's his field of study? He's geology, specifically floodplains. Oh, wow. If you ask me any further questions, I will not be able to answer them. (laughs) Does he understand your work? I don't know. I don't think he's all that interested. Now, (laughs) how was your birthday? (laughs) My birthday was great. Uh, Came in last Wednesday night, was thinking... At the time, I'd need to go back to Raleigh this week. Of course, we got news last week, uh, As I, actually as I was pulling up into Carolina Beach, that uh, the speaker had made the announcement they're not having votes this week, so I ended up staying. Uh, Julie's been here. Alan came down, my son. He came this weekend. We surfed all weekend, hung out. Uh, my daughter uh, could not come because of her internship and her job but uh, it it was just really kind of laid back fun relaxing it's great seeing you i heard from so many people uh, text messages facebook twitter thank you for the wonderful video you created and you know the thing about facebook or you know just responding is like you want to respond to everyone because they took the time to wish you a happy birthday by the way i'm not good at that doesn't facebook like auto populate that for you for people I just it's like it wish does. him a happy birthday click yeah is that it i don't know i haven't had facebook in 10 years i think you have to actually write happy birthday which makes me think that i have to respond to you i really this is where i get into a little bit of like how do i respond so if you're on facebook and you write happy birthday then i will put like a heart but then i think do i really heart 
when someone just says happy birthday? Do I put a like? Do I put the care? What, the, what is the care? It's like someone hugging. It's a hugging That's emotion. That's weird. It is. Why would you hug somebody? I don't know. All these responses, I really don't know what to do about that. And some folks I know better than others. If you text message me, you definitely get a reply back. You can just say text. You don't have to say text message me. <laughs> If you text me. <laughs> All right. So I'm 52. Let yeah, me it's talk, 2023. Let me talk the way step I want to step into this year. Uh, look, I, I, let me talk about the way I want to talk. If you want to text message me, text message. We can exchange messages. Okay. Youngin, I'm 52. You did try to hug me yesterday. <laughs> I did. If you know Sky, she doesn't hug white men. <laughs> Sorry to all those people in the Dan Bishop post. <laughs> now, if you are Russell at the General Assembly uh, who works security and he helps us get through, you know, the metal detectors, uh, you will get a hug from Sky. But it could be your birthday, like it was this week, and get presents. And I got these wonderful presents from you and I wanted to give you a hug. And you're like, yeah, we're not hugging. It's weird. It is. Yeah. No human contact whatsoever, huh? Anyway, back to Facebook. Yeah. So, Do you have the same concerns when someone just sends you a text and you could tap reply? Yeah, it depends on how many words you put in it. So if it's a happy birthday, you'll get a heart uh, tap reply. If you say happy birthday, Brian, I feel like you probably, you might have populated happy birthday, but you didn't, Brian. So that... Do you know how long that takes? It's less than 30 seconds. Yeah, it's really not a crazy effort so i want to reply thank you so you know it had like hundreds of these messages wow hundreds yeah yeah <laughs> i don't know if you know but a lot of people like me people really nice to me this week wishing me a happy birthday and so yeah you know spent a lot of time doing that on tuesday that was wonderful a lot of friends i hadn't heard from in a long time childhood friends since last birthday <laughs> since the last birthday yeah are you one to really go through everyone whose birthday will you wish them a happy birthday yeah i know everybody's birthday i've ever interacted with do you really oh yeah you're so smart i remember like my classmates birthdays I'll, it'll be just like a random day and i'll be like oh today is Don kitchell's birthday mm -hmm. today's michael moore's birthday and do you try to outdo them in the gift giving the way you do with me? Like, I feel like you I don't you're... even know them. I don't send them gifts. Okay. Because I get really good gifts from you, and then I feel, feel like I just disappoint you with the gifts I give you. I love birthdays. I love my birthday, and I love other people's birthday, because it's a holiday you don't share with everyone. Mm -hmm. It's not Christmas. We're all sharing that, or, you know, most of us. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not Halloween. It's your day so i like to make that special for whoever it is and i made you dinner that was part of your yeah that was great that was delicious that peanut sauce you make is so good by the <laughs> that, way. Wasn't you. that was just a whip up thing yeah just bragging <laughs> you just whip things well i don't out. have hundreds of friends <laughs> <laughs> i only have three so i can make them dinner yeah but it was a good birthday i am looking forward to this 53rd year around the sun and grateful for friends, grateful for you, our colleague, Christy Jones, of course, my family. It was just a great week. So next week, we're looking at those veto overrides on Wednesday in the House. We will talk all about that and whatever other news comes our way. But until then, relax, 
spend a day at the beach, enjoy the surf maybe, and remember to do politics better.